0: Remember to have your pets spayed and neutered, and possibly your unruly children, too. (laughs) It's Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly. We judge them harshly. We rank them. That is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. (laughs) And, uh, oh boy, folks. Folks. We We got some games today. Oh my goodness, we sure do. Um, If you've all been listening to uh, Kami Jace's podcast, The Weekly Cooldown, which you should be listening to, especially this past week since we were on it, although I guess it'd be two weeks now since uh, this won't go up for another week. But uh, we already hinted at what's to come today uh, on that show.
1: Yeah, and uh, maybe our our opinions about what's to come as well, because uh, we were both kind of in the thick of uh, of trying out these games when we recorded that episode. We've now played them some more, uh, done some more. Steampunk Link has done uh, some some research on them, and uh, boy, we got some we got some stuff to say. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, cards on the table. Uh, neither of us are overly enthusiastic about any of these we no, nope. we may have a bottom 10 contender in this uh, crop of games actually i i'm not sure yet we'll we'll have to do the science but uh i think it's possible one of these presents a bit of a problem for me and it, i guess we'll just go right into to dungeon master we're just going to lead with dungeon master so that we can talk about all that
1: Let's do it. So uh, we are still in uh, June. Uh, That's right, right? Yeah, June June 1993. Yeah, we are still in June 1993. Uh, Our games for today are Dungeon Master, Family Dog, and Kawasaki Caribbean Challenge. Uh, Let's get into it with Dungeon Master.
0: Yeah, let's get into it with Dungeon Master. So right out of the gate, I acknowledge Dungeon Master is a very well-regarded game in the world of... Uh, Western RPGs, first-person perspective RPGs, dungeon crawlers, you know, however you want to classify that or, or, you know, whatever various categories might sort of overlap in that Venn diagram. So, you know, so I I get that there will probably be somebody listening to this, at least one person listening to this, who will be very, very upset that we didn't like this game. Um, You know, and and in a way, I get it. You know, you've got this thing that is well-regarded, with a lot of history behind it, that is very important to the medium as a whole, and then along comes some some bozo who, you know, doesn't have the same reverence for that thing, who isn't as interested in this particular genre, who just is going to flat out say, I hate this. And that's really frustrating. And I, I get that. I do. I really do. So I hope that by, you know, telling you all the story of the history behind Dungeon Master, we, we can come to an understanding that, like, I, I get that, This game has its fans that it is important for some in in some ways, but that like I don't like it as a personal preference because I'm not a fan of this genre. And also I don't think this works as a Super Nintendo game.
1: I think that sounds fair. I, my my feelings about it are like uh, about the genre are, are definitely a little different than yours, but I still came down off feeling like this this was not a fun experience and not really a thing I would recommend to people. So maybe that tempers it a little bit as well. Also, you know, we like what we like. This is a foundational example of a type of game uh, that you know is is just is not a thing you, you personally have ever been able to get into, and, and that I uh, have had some some fun times with this type of game, but not really uh, anything quite as, as sort of close to the beginning of the genre as this. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about where this comes from, what its story is, and then we can talk about uh, the game itself and specifically the Super Nintendo version of it. So this game was uh, first
0: released by FTL Games in 1987. The roots go back a little bit further than that. So this game started development by two chemistry students at UC Irvine, uh, programmer Doug Bell and artist Andy Jaros. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I am not, I am very, very sorry, Andy, wherever you are. It was inspired by games like Wizardry and Ultima on the Apple II. The pair set out to make an even more ambitious dungeon crawler in that vein. By 1983... The pair had graduated and were hard at work on the game, which they were calling Crystal Dragon at the time. However, the game ended up being a bit too ambitious for two people to do all the work themselves. After pitching the game to a few companies, they ended up at FTL Games, which was run by Wayne Holder. In an interview with Retro Gamer Magazine, Doug Bell recounts, quote, Wayne decided to take us on for a few months to get the game in a working state. Now, FTL Games is an interesting story in its own right. Uh, It's also not a terribly long one, so we're going to take a moment to talk about that. So Wayne Holder initially founded a company called Oasis Systems. I'm not entirely sure when. He formed that company mostly to create spell-checking software, which, um, fun fact, he encouraged to do by his wife, who was an author of romance and horror novels, and uh, she, uh, Nancy Holder, is credited as the... uh, is writing the intro story of this game. So, a little fun tidbit for you there. At some point, he changed the name of the company to Software Heaven, which I'm guessing happened in 1982, which is when Wikipedia erroneously cites that the company was founded. And another thing that happened in 1982 was that Holder brought on Bruce Webster, who had convinced Holder to diversify. Uh, Holder created FTL Games as a gaming division of Software Heaven, and Webster got to work on the game that would end up uh, putting FTL on the map, which was Sundog Frozen Legacy. Sundog was a sci-fi business management game in which the player is tasked with making trade deals in space to find a home for a group of cryogenically frozen space colonists. And it's here where we pick back up with Bell and Jaris, who are now at FTL and working on their Apple II version of what would become Dungeon Master. Uh, the project ended up being put on hold after Atari announced their own personal computer, the Atari ST, to be released in late 1984. The duo were struggling with the Apple II hardware, and the Atari ST was promising, but FTL wanted something to launch with that system. Everyone agreed that it would take too long to get Crystal Crystal Dragon working in time for the Atari ST launch, and instead focused on porting the successful Sundog to the Atari ST instead. As for Webster, he had likely already left by this point, as creating Sundog entirely on his own had proved to be such an enormous undertaking that he wasn't keen on doing that again. Yeah, burnout. Huge problem in the games industry since the early 80s. At least. Yeah. Between losing Webster and the success of Bell and Jarrus' port of Webster's work, it probably wasn't a hard decision for Holder to bring the two onto FTL on a more permanent basis at that point. Uh, They went back to work on their game, which was now being called Dungeon Master for the Atari ST. FTL also brought on two more programmers to help them out, Mike Newton and Dennis Walker, and Holder himself contributed to the game as well, mostly for music and sound. The game was originally slated to release in 1985, but the scope of the game kept getting bigger, with a focus on immersion, uh, leading to the game not getting released until 1987. But the wait was worth it, as Dungeon Master was a huge hit for FTL. For its time, it was incredibly innovative, All of the action was happening in real-time, torches would burn out, heroes get hungry, monsters don't stop to wait for you while you adjust your inventory when you're over-encumbered, a real-time exploratory dungeon crawler like this had never been done before with such graphical fidelity. Uh, Unfortunately, FTL would never match this level of success. Uh, Though the team released a few updates and scenarios for the original game with the original engine, uh, the sequel would take years to make. Dungeon Master 2 released in 1993 to some acclaim, but now they found themselves having to compete against other equally immersive experiences, and the game didn't sell nearly as well as they were hoping it would have. Uh, FTL ceased operations in 1996. And that is pretty much the quick and dirty version of uh, the story of this game. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, go on Wikipedia and then scroll down to the work cited. There's a great article in an issue of Retro Gamer magazine about it.
1: Uh, yeah, no, that is very cool, and um, yeah, the the result we end up with here is, is Dungeon Master, which, as you noted, um, you know, very, very successful game, so it's not surprising that it ended up getting ported to a bunch of other other platforms. Um, I do think it's a little bit strange that it's here on the Super Nintendo's six years after its original release.
0: Yeah, I think that by this time, even in its time and place, the game was almost certainly showing its age, I would have to think, and...
1: I would think, yeah. And it's
0: also just not very well suited to the SNES controller. Now, I don't I, I haven't played this game on original hardware, like I haven't played this on an Atari ST emulator or anything like that. So yeah. I don't know if the control is as cumbersome there as it is here, but yeah, I Didn't really care for this. Um, There is a nice little like move mode that maps the D-pad directly to moving forward, left, right, back, and the shoulder buttons get mapped to looking to the side. Uh, Turning, yeah. I did like that, but it's still a real slog to move around anywhere. And this game opens with an introductory level in which you have to maneuver around
1: a pretty complex area just to pick your characters. So the conceit of this game is a little bit stranger than um, it might at first appear because this is a game uh, much in the vein of like a wizardry or if you've played like the gold box, um, like Dungeons and Dragons games, you're first person perspective, but you have a party of characters and you are going through a dungeon, solving puzzles, picking up items and fighting monsters. And, The the thing that's a little bit stranger here is that that's not the extent of the setup here. The setup here is actually that you are the apprentice to a wizard who accidentally summoned an evil chaos demon that has now taken over the wizard's like multi-level dungeon that he lives in. And the wizard has turned you, his apprentice, into an ethereal spirit that needs to collect a party of heroes from the past um, who are all kind of preserved in this Hall of Heroes or Hall of Champions. And that is the party that you use. So, yeah, the the start of this game is just you. You go into this complex and, I think, kind of confusingly laid out area in the dungeon that has uh, these pictures all along the walls that you walk up to read about the stats and and capabilities of the hero in the picture and if you want to add them to your party you you summon them out of it not a great first impression i feel like cuz it's it's really kind of easy to get bogged down and confused by just this starting thing
0: you know there's there's uh, like a lot of stuff going on where when it comes to the character stats like there are four main classes and some characters have some skill in more than one class. I think it's like fighter, ninja, wizard, and priest, I think. I think that's right. Some characters will be like already like level two priest and level two ninja, you know, those ninja priests. Right. Whereas like some characters will only be a fighter, but they'll already be a level four fighter. What that means is not explained all that well. I mean, I can kind of get a sense of it, you know, like, okay, you know, going with Traditional RPG tropes, I would assume that like a ninja is maybe like a something akin to like a thief class where they're a, a fast fighter, but not nearly as strong as like the, the, the big fighter class, which would be, I guess, your fighters. Priests, I assume, would be more white magic related and wizards would be more black magic aligned. But mm-hmm. again, I'm not entirely sure on any of that. And I understand that like in, a, in a, an older game like this, that kind of thing would have to be surfaced in the manual like you know they wouldn't have room yeah. on the game pro, you know in the game's program itself to explain all of this to the player in text. It's still a lot to take in all at once and it doesn't make me all that excited to try this game out for any extended period of time.
1: It's also kind of either a good thing or a bad thing depending on what you're expecting out of a game like this, but uh, it's it's pretty easy cuz the game doesn't put any kind of restrictions on which of these characters you can pick. Uh, You can definitely pick a whole group of people who are pretty bad at, like, hand-to-hand fighting, or just don't start with weapons that are good for it, which means you can have stuff happen where, like, the very first mummy that you run into on level two of the dungeon will just roll you, will just, you know, completely destroy you. (laughs) <laughs> yep. It turns out you should never slap a mummy. Don't slap that mummy. Talking about the interface for this game, it is kind of interesting, but also in a way that I think is is pretty clearly not suited to a controller. It is a mouse based, cursor based, uh, almost like adventure game means of interaction with this world. Uh, so you have a floating hand on the screen that you can use to you know click on things and pick them up. You can put. Items into individual characters' inventories or into, like, their equipment slots, which they have a full kind of, like, what's called, like, a paper doll equipment system where each individual piece of armor on them can be individually selected and, you know, changed out for other stuff. And then you also have, like, you alluded to a movement mode where if you click select it changes to the cursor being um, just kind of stationary and the control pad basically like moves you uh, according to these sort of cardinal directions. This works okay. Um, it just doesn't feel that good on the Super Nintendo. It probably would have been better for some things in this, if there was just like a catch all action button for things like, you know, pressing switches or, or picking up uh, keys um, there's a lot of like kind of environmental puzzles in this where you need to, you know, like uh, the simplest, uh, if you can even really call it a puzzle, is when you go into level two of the dungeon, it's completely dark unless you remember to pick up a torch in level one and equip it to somebody. There's keys to to find to to unlock doors. There's switches on the floor. Apparently later on, there are things like, you know, riddles and uh, more kind of complex puzzles, so, you know, kind of the stuff that you'd experience Actually playing like a game of Dungeons and Dragons and going through going through a dungeon. You know, I think there's a couple of problems here uh, beyond just the fact that using a a controller for this is not as intuitive as using a mouse. One of them is that all the graphics for this version have been uh, completely redone from the the older computer versions and they're a lot muddier and a lot harder to kind of parse what's going on like i looked at some footage of the atari st version and the graphics are simpler but they're way more readable buttons are bigger the the inventory screen is is uh, way less squashed than it is here Uh, i just think that a lot of the choices they made for this really don't work very well
0: Just comes down to the whole, you know, why would you bother porting this to the SNES? It's it's not a great system for it. The screen resolution for the SNES was probably not even a great fit for it. No, um, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking right now at a list of uh, mouse compatible games on the SNES, and I do not see Dungeon Master on that list. So,
1: We're weird decision. Yeah, weird decision. Why would you not? For as
0: important as this game was in its time and place, this is not a great game for the Super Nintendo. It's not well suited to it, and we did not have a very good
1: time with it. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I would say that like, if you've never experienced this game, and you specifically want to go back and play this game, probably don't play this version. The PC version of this exists as a piece of readily available abandonware that you can just get. If you're just interested in playing a game of this type, uh, but you don't care about kind of the historical significance, I would probably recommend something like Legend of Grimrock, uh, which actually started as like a fan remake of this before spinning off into its own game or, you know, uh, something that, you know, maybe is a little bit more like story heavy, like the, uh, the Zen Studios RPGs, like Operencia, the Stolen Sun. There are, I'm pretty sure more modern
0: versions of Dungeon Master as well that do sort of bring it into, uh, A format that'll probably be a lot more palatable to modern gamers as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure those exist. All right. Well, I hope we haven't ruffled too many feathers with this
1: one. I guess we still need to rank it. So there's time. We do. So there's still one more feather we can ruffle here. Right. Yes. (laughs) Um, So let's uh, let's go to the list and see what where we want to put this one. Um, It's neither of us really enjoyed this game. So I don't think it's going to be going that high. Uh, did you have any places that you wanted to start kind of looking at placing this on the list here?
0: Yeah, actually, I do. So, again, this is probably going to be a really unpopular opinion here. Um, I might start at number 65, which is Drocken, because that's also a, a, you know, kind of an open RPG sort of game. But I think it it it's not nearly as... Uh, is hard to to manage on the Senes. Yeah. I still don't think it it does an amazing job, but I I think it does a better job than this. And honestly, like I just think Draken is more visually interesting and and just has a lot of you know like weird things that make me want to poke around in that game's world a
1: little bit more than this game does. So yeah, I I agree with that. Um, so yeah, I think that I'd be comfortable with this going somewhere down from Draken. I would probably put it below Arcana as well at 78. Yes, actually, that is a good point. I think Arcana is, uh, you know, it is a first-person dungeon crawler, but I think it has more interesting stuff going on than this. And I think it is considerably better suited to the Super Nintendo than this game
0: is. Yeah. Um, What might be a a slightly more difficult conversation might be Lagoon at 84.
1: Lagoon has um, some stuff stacked against it because of the particular choices made in adapting that to the Super Nintendo. Given that, um, even though I think Lagoon is certainly a more attractive game than this, it's probably actually a little less playable than this game in
0: some ways. I don't know, I, I got a heck of a lot further in Lagoon than I got in Dungeon Master.
1: That's true, but I think that if you learned the systems in Dungeon Master, you probably wouldn't have a lot of impediments, the same way that like the basic... Thing they did with changing out Lagoon's like attack system might do, but I mean, you're right. Though I mean, Lagoon is 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 a game that I certainly personally played considerably more of and enjoyed my time with more than I did with Dungeon Masters. So
0: yeah, I, I would have a hard time putting this above Lagoon because I, I I mean, for for as much as I do think that that game kind of gets handicapped by some of the decisions that were made. Ultimately, I think it works better as a SNES game, and it's easier to wrap your head around, you know, when you first boot it up.
1: Yes, uh, I think that's very true.
0: I think I would go down from there, too. Um, I
1: don't know. What, where do you think might be the floor for this one? Maybe a game we just talked about, actually. Um, Battle Toads and Battle Maniacs. I can't really respect the choices made in Battletoads and Battle Maniacs all that much. Yeah. This is still probably a more enjoyable game to play than Tasmania. But I recognize I had kind of some specific problems with Tasmania that may not be universal. Yeah, I
0: I think I I respect what Tasmania was trying to do. So maybe between Tasmania and Battletoads?
1: That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. And hey, we're one step closer to getting a lethal weapon out of the top 100. (laughs) Yeah, get out of here, Lethal Weapon. Take a hike, Riggs and Murtaugh. Your badges have been revoked.
0: And congratulations to number 95, Dungeon Master. Our new 95, top 100 game. Despite everything we just said, still top 100 game. So. Yeah. <laughs> With it being still in the top half of the games on our list right now, hopefully that means that you know people won't think we were too unfair
1: towards this game. I hope not. I think we I think we gave it a, a very fair appraisal and we you know, we tried to put it in, in its time and place. I think it's I think it was fair. But if we want to talk about unfairness just on like a cosmic level, uh, you wanna talk about family dog? Yeah, let's talk about family dog. <laughs> it's only about family dog.
0: Please. All right. So, so family dog, uh, drink every time we say family dog. No, don't do that. Um, please
1: don't. That so family <laughs> dog's taken enough from people. Don't, don't let it, you know, kill you too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Some execs at CBS, uh, lost something for, for family dog. I'm sure somebody did. Um, <sighs> Anyway, Family Dog comes to us from developer Absolute Entertainment, the company founded by Gary Kitchen and David Crane, in case you have forgotten, and publisher Malibu Games, a subsidiary of THQ, who I'm pretty sure we talked about when we discussed Desert Strike Return to the Gulf. Yes. Um, but uh, I, I believe they will come up again just in case we didn't do that. So don't worry. Don't worry, everyone. They they will be talked about if they have not already been talked about. But uh, but I'm going to talk about Family Dog the show, this was based on an animated sitcom that aired in 1993. It was produced by Steven Spielberg and Tim Burton. Maybe you've heard of those guys. Probably haven't heard of Family Dog, though. If, if you haven't, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, so originally, Family Dog was a series of shorts that aired as part of an anthology show, which was also produced by Spielberg, in 1987 called Amazing Stories. Uh, Amazing Stories aired on NBC for two seasons. Family Dog shorts were created by animator Brad Bird, who's uh, pretty well known in the animation. But I know he's directed a couple episodes of The Simpsons.
1: A couple episodes of The Simpsons, also director of several Pixar movies. He directed both The Incredibles movies. He directed Ratatouille and uh, not a Pixar movie, but definitely kind of a favorite of mine, uh, The Iron Giant's. Yeah, he's directed a bunch of stuff. A couple of live-action things, too. He did a Mission Impossible movie. He did that deeply unfortunate Tomorrowland movie that uh, nobody likes to remember from a few years ago. He's a big deal, for sure. And yeah, he also was, for a long time, uh, a major... uh, He was a big wheel at the Cracker Factory down at The Simpsons, (laughs) for sure. He did not actually have involvement, I believe, with the TV series of Family Dog, which is a thing I'm sure you'll touch on. You know,
0: three big names associated with this franchise. But anyway, the uh, shorts were about your average suburban American family, the Binsford's. Uh, mostly from the point of view of their bull terrier named Jonah, though the dog is never called by name in the short, nor do I remember the dog ever being called by its name in any of the episodes that I watched for this, uh, for, for researching this, so I don't actually know if uh, if the dog is ever named in the cartoons themselves. The episode of Amazing Stories featuring Family Dog was very well received, even though Spielberg got a little bit of criticism by some of uh, the folks um, at NBC about his choice to air an animated segment, uh, as animation wasn't really viewed as a thing for adults in the late 80s. But uh, a couple years later, a thing called The Simpsons happened, and uh, that perception changed a little bit. In fact, we went from a time in which people wondered, should there even be animation for adults? Is that even a thing that you would ever air? To, oh, hey, we really need to get some animation for adults so that we can compete with Fox now. (laughs) Flash forward to the early 90s, and every network wants an animated uh, adult sitcom to compete with The Simpsons. CBS decided that Family Dog might be a hit and put in an order for 13 episodes. Uh, Brad Bird, as you mentioned, did not want to have anything to do with this because he didn't think the premise would work as a sitcom. Uh, Someone probably should have listened to him. The series had a lot of production issues behind the scenes, as well as in, in you know, what we all saw. Uh, the series was meant to debut in 1991, but uh, when the producers got the animation back on the 10 episodes that were finished by Wang Film Productions in Taiwan, they were not happy with the animation, and so they uh, turned to Nelvana to try and fix it. Uh, this delayed the airing of the show for two years and apparently nobody had any confidence in the project by this point, as the remaining three episodes were never even animated. Uh, CBS very quickly aired the ten episodes that they had over the summer of 1993, and then promptly canceled the show. Uh, Family Dog never got released on DVD, though some episodes came out on VHS, and for some reason, the show got a Laserdisc release, and I want to meet the person who owns Family Dog on Laserdisc.
1: I feel like the Laserdisc release of the Family Dog TV show is, like, some kind of early 90s singularity that would, like, kill you if you looked directly at it. Honestly, like, the only
0: more fitting thing would have been if it was, like, an RCA um, VCD or whatever. Yeah. Not VCD. Was that what it was called? VCD? Hello, everyone. Future Steampunk Link here to answer past Steampunk Link's question. No, it was not called that. It was called the CED or... Capacitance electronic disc. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the RCA vinyl video format that, that failed spectacularly. <laughs> that, that would have been fitting. So yeah, this is a really bad show. I watched a couple episodes of it. Um, the, the characters are completely unlikable. They are horrible to this dog. And you just can't
1: have any sympathy for these characters. Imagine this, folks, a half-hour animated show that they expected people to come back and watch every week uh, just about this awful family abusing this dog. The first episode is about the dog being really thirsty and trying to get any water to drink. And n- not only will nobody give it water, but they keep drinking water in front of it. It's it's cruel, and it's it feels so bad to watch.
0: I watched an episode where, like, the, the kid who's this very hideous looking adolescent boy who looks like he's from a completely different cartoon than the rest of them. I was, he looks somehow like an even uglier animated Beetlejuice in child form. He looks like he's from the,
1: like, to me, at least utterly repulsive French movie, uh, the triplets of Belleville where everybody had teeth like him. Basically he's awful to look at. And he's a little, uh, sociopath basically.
0: Yeah. He burns their house down in an episode and then like the episode ends with a little joke where he's playing with matches again. His mom's like, ah, 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 give me that. And it's like, this kid will, this kid is going to get you all murdered. Do something about this kid. He's certainly going to kill this dog that he's always picking on.
1: We're, we're heading for a real, uh, we need to talk about Kevin's situation with this kid, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So I would say this, this show definitely goes near the bottom of our list.
0: No, wait, what are we doing again? Oh, we have a video game to talk about.
1: Unfortunately, we do have a video game to talk about, and part of the reason we spent so much time talking about the show is that, as awful as the show is, it's way more interesting to talk about than this game. Who thought this game was a good idea? Like, this
0: show was such a disaster, and everybody seems to have known it before it even aired. Like, who even had the time to make this game between the period in which people thought this show was a good idea and this show being just
1: very quickly and quietly crapped out by CBS. Like I'm sure there's no evidence of this, but this absolutely feels like a thing where they just, like, back when they thought the show was going to be good and a hit, they ordered this game and then nobody thought about it again. And one day, Absolute called them up and was like, hey, we got this game for you. It's done. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's right. We did ask for that. Yeah, I guess this whole thing was, like,
0: being redrawn, essentially, by Nelvana for two years, so this is a pretty bog-standard run-and-jump platformer. You play as the dog, uh, whose name is apparently Jonah, and uh, yeah, you avoid cats and, like, ambulatory bugs. Flying books? books.
1: Yeah. This is a pretty insipid platform game. Like I I feel like we've bagged on um, Tom and Jerry specifically for being kind of a very whatever platform game in a lot of, in, in some cases, but this is actually way worse than that because it's like, they just picked random objects to be like obstacles in this. You're the dog and you're trying to make your way through various levels. A lot of them are based in the house. Um, Later on, there's, um, there, there's, a, there's a, a set of levels set in a nightmarishly grim dog kennel that the dog escapes from and gets into the woods where the last level is. But yeah, there's not not really a lot of variety here. And the dog controls really weirdly. Like, do you want to talk about how the dog actually plays in this game? Uh, So, I mean, obviously, you know, you can move left and right. You have to hold down a button to run. I think
0: it's like the button on the top of the controller,
1: which is weird. Yeah, it is. It's weird. Yeah.
0: You run around, you jump around, you pick up power-ups, only one of which actually increases your, your life meter. The rest of them just give you points, which is always disappointing in a game like this. I guess occasionally the dog will run across bowls of food and and eat it, which might be checkpoints. I'm not entirely sure. Um, But the thing that this dog likes to eat more than dog food is your jump inputs.
1: Yeah. And like, he's got kind of two different jumps. Like he's got a really short jump that seems basically useless. For anything except, like, getting over, like, objects that are, like, just on the floor. And he has, like, a straight-up jump that's very high that you, I think, do have to press up in order to get him to do. Well,
0: I, I don't think you can be holding left or right
1: when you start that jump is the problem. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's just a straight up-and-down jump, basically. Which, like,
0: I, I can sort of understand what they were going for there, you know, like, like, hey, you can jump forward or backward, but if you don't hold anything and just jump, you'll get a higher jump, but... But then it just, like you said, it makes the the side to side jump kind of useless because it doesn't cover much ground and it doesn't really do anything for you. Like if that were an attack or if, you know, you you
1: jumped really far, I could kind of see what they're going for there and that would kind of work. I guess the only real use that jump has is um, this game does not have boss fights, but it has repeated sequences where you are chased by the little uh, psychopath child. And there are objects, there's like, like little kind of like wooden like baby blocks on the floor that you have to jump over. So I guess that's what it's there for. But I almost feel like if they wanted to do that, then like the chase sequences should have had just like an entirely different control setup. Like it's it's a poor use of of you know the the game mechanics to to have it be laid out like
0: that. I, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the only thing I can really say in this game's favor is that it does capture the look of the cartoon, which, you know... Is, it does do that, yeah. The cartoon is, you know, mostly... F- fine it's it's nothing impressive but you know other than the the one character who looks like he's from a different show
1: yeah the human characters don't look don't look good but they look okay um it all translates pretty well to the sprite art i think that if you want to say anything like legitimately good about the art style i think there is a very nice very clean like iconic look to the dog himself yeah like he's pretty much just like a few curved lines and then like a little a little you know, dot of a nose floating in front of his face. And like, it looks good in the cartoon and it looks good here in the game. Like that dog has a very 90s cartoon dog, but in a
0: cool way to like, it almost makes me think that if they had just taken the family dog character and just completely divorced it from everything else about that show, they might have been able to come up with something kind
1: of neat yeah i think that there is if there's something there it's the dog himself
0: yeah definitely and uh, seeing as how they they couldn't afford martin mole to do any uh uh, you know voice samples or anything really not much reason to have the family there honestly they could have just called it dog just called it dog free dog free him There's not much to this game
1: either. I think you said that you watched a long play and it was really short. Yeah, it's like 15 minutes long if you don't die. Um, Yeah. And it's probably pretty easy to actually get through a lot of these levels once you know what you're doing. There's just not a ton to this. I feel bad for anybody that ended up, like, owning this game as a kid. Just because it it retains a lot of the mean-spiritedness of the cartoon. And it is also not very fun or very expansive. So... Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't think
0: I'm going to be quite as mean to this game as I was thinking we might have been um, because I think a good floor for this one is James Bond Jr. at uh, 123 because I think that, you know, this game is not as, as complex as that game was, but it is like cleaner and more readable and and. Well, I don't know. Now that I'm I'm thinking about it, like James Bond Jr. at least had more complex levels and a variety of things that you did. It,
1: it did. It had a couple of different things going on, and it. it had those shooter levels, and it had some exploration in the the the, you know, the platforming levels.
0: Yeah. You know what? Forget what I just said. It this probably should go below James Bond Jr. because this should also definitely go below Extra Innings, right? Oh yeah, for
1: sure, for okay. sure. Uh, All right. So where's a better floor for this? You think? <laughs> Well, I would actually, I would put it below Super Adventure Island as well, which is at a 130. It could probably go below Super Ghouls and Ghosts at 143, too. Where is Skull Jagger? Um, wow, that's down at 174. Ooh, that's really low. I don't think I want to put this that low. But on the other hand, like, it's... Mm, I don't know, actually, maybe. I mean, it's a better, you know what, this is a better game than Wayne's World. I will say that. Yeah. You know what? I think this should go right above Wayne's World, actually. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, th- I think you're right. I think Wayne's World is the first game on here that I would say is definitively worse than Family Dog. So it sounds to me like this is going to be our new number 175. Yep. Uh, 175 between Skulljagger and Wayne's World. Just a bad platform game sandwich.
0: Yep. It's, uh, it's not good not good and it's it's based on a franchise that's not worth your time so uh so yeah that's that's gonna do it for family dog all right well folks that's that's two down and uh one to go so um i don't, I don't think i'm gonna have much to say about this <laughs> i you. don't
1: think th- i don't think there's much to say about this Uh, Kawasaki Caribbean Challenge um, wh- What do you got for us, Steampunk Link? Is there any any information about this game's history? Uh,
0: no, nobody knows where it came from It just appeared one day uh, No, this game comes to us from Park Place Productions Who I think we talked about back in Madden The first Madden uh, And publisher Game Tech Those are the folks who do like the Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune games mostly So we've already talked about them So, yeah, I don't even have really anything interesting to say about that. I mean, what else am I going to do? Get into the history of Kawasaki? Uh, No, thank you. I will save that for the next Kawasaki game.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I would say is maybe notable about this is that the designer of this game is a guy named Rod Humble, who is still in the games industry, uh, mostly as an executive at places like the uh, Second Life owner, Linden Lab. Um, and he also is is currently working for Paradox Interactive uh, as the, the lead of a, uh, a studio there. The main thing I personally know him from is this uh, very stripped down art game that he made uh, back in like the mid 2000s called The Marriage. It's been in the games industry for a long time, clearly, and he did design this. Probably in like a weekend because there is not much here. Should we talk about the game itself or did you actually want to talk about <laughs> Kawasaki before? We- no, no, no. I, I don't okay. have anything
0: about Kawasaki. No, this is just a top down racing game where you can race either a, a bike, a motorbike or a,
1: uh, a jet ski, I pers- guess. Yeah, yeah
0: a, a personal watercraft. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I know I think they just call them jet skis in this It's yeah. not a, a see-do See-do, more like a see-don't Ooh oh. Hits just keep coming with this one um, Yeah, I don't know I mean, what, what is there to say it's,
1: it's a top-down racing game You can pick one of the two vehicles They pretty much control the same Top-down, you turn by pressing the shoulder buttons There's an okay sense of momentum But uh, no music Uh, very little variety in actually where you're racing. And, um, that's it. That's the whole game. This feels like something that I could have played in, like, a browser on, like, you know, Kawasaki's website as a promotional game in the, like, the, the early 2000s. Like, there's nothing here. Like, it feels okay to control, like I think I said, but yeah, like, I don't know why you would play this. I really, really don't. Yeah, it's, um it, like, I don't really care for
0: the, the controls in this because it is top-down and the camera never changes perspective, um,
1: you know, in relation to your car. It also doesn't really do the thing that a lot of top-down racing games do, which is flash, like, arrows on the screen telling you when a turn is coming up. Yeah. So you really just have to, like, feel it out and make sure that, you know you're you're ready to slow down and, and turn you do, you do get like a really tiny map in the bottom of the screen
0: which i guess is helpful
1: uh-huh yeah i guess that i guess that's helpful but yeah man like there's just ah oh, man i don't know what to say about this because there's nothing to say about this yeah
0: i mean if you really like simple top-down racers then this sure is one of those you know i mean like the motorcycle yeah. racing is fine i guess for what it is um you know the Everything's kind of zoomed out so it's not you know, there's not a lot of detail, but everything looks okay. And then, you know, if you decide, Hey, I really like this, but I just want to see a mostly blue screen, then change over to this jet ski
1: racing and, and that that's what that is. So That's it. The one thing I can say about the graphics is that I think the bike and the jet ski look kinda nice when they're turning. I think there's a nice little like perspective effect there. But uh, that's it. That's yeah. literally the only compliment I can actually Pay to the presentation of this game,
0: and the fact that this game lacks a lot of music means that it's going to be hard to come up with interstitials for this segment. So,
1: what if we just go straight to the list? Let's do it. We're not trying to give this game the short shrift. There's just nothing here. Yeah. Um. Please understand, we're not being dismissive. Uh. Out of hand, we just that this game is nothing. Basically, yeah, there's there's
0: just not a whole lot here, and there's so little here. In fact, that I have to look at a game like.
1: California games at 151 and think that game's got more content it's definitely got more content yeah like I feel like any one of the events in California games has probably more going on on every level than than this game does
0: yeah I mean we didn't like many of those games but I'm pretty sure like one or two of them we thought hey this is all right and that alone makes it more game than this is so yeah yeah I mean, like the Terminator, I'd probably put the Terminator above this, too.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. Battle Grand Prix. I don't remember that one very well. Uh, No, I don't either. Uh, I've kind of not got much in the way of any memories of that. Okay. Um, You know what, though? I'm looking at the list here and like I do think there are still there. There are games on here I would probably rather play than this one that are that are lower like spin dizzy worlds i didn't like that game but at least it was trying to do something i don't think this is trying to do like anything you know a
0: tko championship boxing might actually be a pretty yeah, good comparison okay. for this one because that was also a pretty simple pretty nothing game although i don't know i i would because mm, i don't know if i would put this above best of the best even though that's another pretty Simple game,
1: but at least it's, it's you know, again, it's trying to do something. And it's a very attractive game. I mean, it's not, really, there's not much to playing it, but at least it's it's got some nice screen layouts, I guess you'd call them in the case of that game. Yeah, Skull Jagger at least has hubris, I guess, going for it. it, it tremendous hubris, yeah. <laughs> With the amount of story that they try to cram in that instruction manual. And, and the weird controls that were so complex that they needed to give you like a way to just practice some of them (laughs) before you played the game. That's not really a thing in that game's favor actually, but it is true that it it, it at least had some stuff going on like that. Oh, you know
0: what? I was confusing TKO boxing with George Foreman's KO boxing, I think.
1: Oh, okay. That does make sense. Yeah. That might be a comfortable uh, comparison point for this. Cause yeah, I didn't enjoy that game. There wasn't really much to it. Uh, You know, they were using The George Foreman license about as well As this game is using The Kawasaki license Yeah, I mean I don't know, would you say this goes above or below George Foreman? I would probably put this below george foreman but maybe just below
0: yeah i mean space football one-on-one is a mess but it's at least an ambitious
1: mess in a way it's an ambitious mess it's trying to use the tech of the super nintendo to do some some stuff it's a nightmare to look at uh but you know at at least you can kind of say like well you know somebody had an idea here
0: hmm boy this one just keeps falling lower and lower doesn't it
1: you know what? I might play this uh, uh, before I would play WWF Super WrestleMania. Actually, yeah, I could see that.
0: Um, we've got David Crane's amazing tennis right above that at one eighty. Also, a bad game. Um, that, that jacket. jacket.
1: Now, oh, also oh, yeah. a bad game, but that jacket is is you know iconic.
0: If if I were to you know like just compare that jacket to like the the photos of the bikes and the jet skis that we see in. The vehicle select mode. Who do you think comes out on top? The
1: jacket wins every time. You think the jacket wins? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I guess then scientifically we have to put this below David Crane's Amazing Tennis. I, I
1: guess so, yeah. How do you feel about putting it putting it above WWF Super WrestleMania and below David Crane's Amazing Tennis in our new number 182 position?
0: I think I'm good with that. All right. Uh, congratulations, Kawasaki Caribbean Challenge, our new number 182 and uh, that's going to do it, folks. We've got 197 games on this list. You know what that means. We've only got one more episode to go before we've got 200. And then we got to do a special. We got to. That's the law. For one thing, we've already recorded most of it. so
1: <laughs> That's right. We are locked in on that. You can't tell us it was a bad idea now. We will not pay attention to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, if if you'd say, hey, that was a bad idea, I'm just going to say, well, where were you before we started recording all that? Huh? Yeah. That's that's what I think about that.
1: What have we actually got for our 198th through 200th games?
0: (laughs) We've got Mario is missing, Pocky and Rocky... And Run Saber. I don't really know what Run Saber is. Let's let's say Pocky and Rocky is going to be our 200th game because it's more deserving of that than the other two, I think.
1: I, I think you're probably right. I don't know much about Run Saber either, but I suspect that Pocky and Rocky is, is probably the most noteworthy game we're playing next week. Uh, certainly isn't going to be Mario, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Luigi's first starring role wasn't great. No, <laughs> he would only go up from there. But, you know, hey, it is, I guess, kind of nice that Mario is is going to be in the mix in some way for our Milestone 200 game episode. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really special. Uh, I think it's going to be a special. It's going to be really good. So look forward to that, folks. We've got three more games in the
0: next episode and then the 200 episode special and then after that, um, I guess we just get back to it. We gotta we gotta start working on that yep. three hundred game special
1: now. Yep, just gotta still, get into that. We, we're gonna keep on pushing that boulder up the hill, folks. Uh even even when we have weeks where the games are as bad as these were. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There there will be there will be weeks like that. You know what, though? These had fun stories. Yeah, uh, you know, Two of these had fun stories connected to them. So That's true. At least if the, even if the games were bad, the talk about the games was, was good.
0: All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud.
0: intro outro song is how now brown cow by techno who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com. that's t-e-k-n-o-a-x-e.com um it's karasaki
1: <laughs> that's not the word <laughs> that's not anything this karasaki
0: is... kawabian challenge yeah. <laughs> <Kalabanga>. <laughs> um